Welcome to the Don't Die podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. Okay, so here we are. Chuck, hey. how are you today? I'm doing all right, Bob. <laughs> quite how a, are you? Quite a technical extravaganza <laughs> getting the uh, headphones to work. Um, tell your friends about this. This is going to be a movement, Don't Die movement. I'm usually, you know, I'm. I'm sick of rehabs, I'm sick of drugs, I'm sick of kids dying of it, I'm sick of bad television reporting about it, I'm sick of the whole thing. I, it's got to get back. I was talking to a great doctor, John Tukey, though I'm declaring war against all doctors, he's a good one, right? I don't think you can do that. But, uh, but you know, and he's giving me all the harm reduction, blah, 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 all of the, you know, you know how doctors are these days. I'm going to give you... I'm going to give you a, a hint about doctors. So doctors' Hippocratic oath is to do no harm. Correct. The thing that addiction doctors love talking about is harm reduction. That's an admission that what they're doing is partly harmful. Does that make you angry? It makes me so fucking angry. <laughs> I, can, I, I could tell. <laughs> Think about it, Chuck. Yeah. Harm reduction invo involves the word harm. So harm. there's some sort of harm going on. It's just less harm than the harm that would go on had it not for doctors saving the day who have a Hippocratic oath to do no harm. That's what they're supposed to do. No harm. Okay. So when they don't put kids on Suboxone, guess what? Some of them die, some of them keep using, and some of them get really sober and transform their lives in a magical, in, rocketed into the fourth dimension way. And harm reduction stops that from happening. True. So some are going to die, some are going to continue to use, and some are going to get sober. Harm reduction, since it's been practiced for the last 10 years in America by doctors, addictionologists, what's been happening in the death rate? Has it gone down, Chuck, or has it gone up? It's gone up. <laughs> like astronomically Yes, up. it has. So, so this has been my passion for the last five, six years, and finally we're going to just talk about it, no holds barred. You know what does work? One addict, addict helping another addict to get sober. That's what works. And so I was telling this doctor, that's what's going to happen. Because of all this death, because of all this fraud, because of all this greed, because of all this fucking bullshit, what's going to happen is little, little movements are going to rise up. Like in the 1970s, same thing happened. Right? Everybody was supposed to get on methadone. Right. Right? See. And no the... one was welcome at Hazelden. Right? Drug addicts weren't welcome in AA. They weren't welcome at Hazelden. What happened? Drug addicts took care of their own. And they started Narcotics Anonymous. They started Delancey Street. They started Synanon. They started Impact. They started Cry Help. They started mom and pop movements all across the country that transformed addicts' lives. And that's what's going to happen again. If you get in on the ground floor of this, you're going to have the wonderful gift of watching the millennials get sober, us transform the recovery industry back to the basics, back to just a bunch of addicts helping a bunch of addicts that are suffering to get sober and to get to the other side that's what's going to happen that's my prediction right what do you think of that chuck we both get our salaries from rehab centers, right well you know, so it's no, kind no, of hypocritical but the, the, you know i gotta feed my family right now but if 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 the recovery industry as it was 
right now were to end tomorrow, I would be so happy. I would. I know. And, I, and back to cry help and impact and real treatment mm. and getting kicked out when you fuck up and that kind of back to the basics. All these people want to save people from the consequences of their actions. And in the meantime, they're killing them. I believe the medical profession is killing addicts. Well, yeah. What am I supposed to do? Here's a, here's a funny thing. I went and saw Louis C.K., right? And he says, all oh, the progressive people that believe in a, a, abortion and all that. And you criticize the people that are standing in front of the abortion clinics, upset, holding banners, not, not the crazy wackos that take matters into their own hands, but just the good Christian people who stand out in front of abortion clinics every day with signs saying, don't do it, don't do it, right? Right. They believe babies are being murdered. What are they fucking supposed to do? Go, oh, well. They right. believe in their heart of hearts, babies are being murdered. The, the, yeah. So they do what they can to try to prevent it and stop it. Well, I believe the medical profession is killing addicts. Period. And I'm fucking done placating and being nice and blah, 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 blah. no, I'm declaring war on them. Right. right, right. You, yeah, you said that a few weeks ago, and I never know what to expect when I talk to you. <laughs> no, and I didn't you know. Look scared. I right didn't now. know we go like zero to a thousand. I thought my like I go, hey well, Bob. I, so what's going on, Bob? Because I just saw that yeah. video that Johnny's coming up with. I right. can't. I can't take looking at it. Right. Well, you know what? You know what pisses me off is when I know. Let's that let's I, pr let's tell them what we saw. So we're trying to we're doing this video. Me and Mike and some friends recorded a Pink Floyd cover song that we're going to edit a bunch of social media and a bunch of videos of the opioid epidemic that's constantly on social media. You see kids ODing, you see dead bodies in cars. And Johnny did a great job, guy that works with us, of editing together that footage. And we were looking at a rough of it tonight and I can't watch it. It makes me so angry. Those kids don't have to die. And they're not dying because somebody's letting them use. They're dying because the medical profession has interfered in a zone they shouldn't be in. That's my, that's my heart of hearts opinion. Now, you can say Bob Forrest is a wacko. Bob Forrest is crazy. Bob Forrest well, is whatever. That's fine. I'm the same as the person <laughs> standing in front of the abortion clinic who believes in their heart of hearts that babies are being murdered. You can disagree with me. You can disagree with them. But you have to respect the passion that they have. That's the problem in America. Nobody respects anybody's right to have an opinion to to voice a passion they get snubbed down like i didn't like what kathy griffin did but i don't think she should be killed for it you know what no. i mean <laughs> but she's she's being slaughtered you can't have an opinion in america but the other side will destroy you the ann coulter can't speak at, at colleges right. why why are you scared of what she's got to say that's the fucking truth of it and so i'm saying that this is the craziest. So Mike's saying I'm being too heavy. I'm being too heavy. Okay, I'm gonna tell you a funny story. <laughs> One time, Ooh. no, I'm, I'm just I'm just passionate, and I and I have a twinkle in my eye. I'm not like Mister, you know. I'm like I do feel like the guy on Network. I'm mad as hell, and I can't take it anymore. Right? right. I'm done talking about this in nice ways. Right? Kids are dying every day. Right. 
mm-hmm. and and it's 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 beyond being uh, being you know uh, kind of uh, compromising about it. No, doctors have no business dealing with drug addicts. Is that a fair statement? Uh, totally, totally. All well, you know, it's what we were talking about, and it, all they did was take. Uh, the methadone off the clinics and put it in the doctor's office and call it suboxone and now the doctors get a cut and they've got to know what they're doing they've got to be aware even if the pharmaceutical company i believe those doctors are dumb enough to think they're saving addicts lives and you just shove the statistical data in their face and they go yes but i met it i have a kid kid blah 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 and they always give some bullshit answer the, the opiate overdose death rate is skyrocketing. Their argument is, can you imagine what it would be without Suboxone saving addicts' lives? What are they right? shooting up in prison? They're shooting <laughs> Suboxone because it's easier to get in than heroin. Yeah. So, so but John, Mike wants me to tell a funny story. Okay, so that's can't, not may very I? funny. That's not may very I? funny. Yeah, go ahead. May I? Yes, you may. So, <laughs> I'll tell you something. So... The only DUI, because the subject of DUIs come up the last couple of weeks because Tiger Woods. God, was he wasted or what? Yeah, but no alcohol, huh? Just <laughs> pills from doctors. What do you know? But but it was just it was sad and it was kind of funny too. It was like a cops episode, <laughs> but it was Tiger Woods. But so I always prided myself that I drove drunk every day of my life from the time I was seventeen, right? And never never got a DUI. I used to talk about it. Really? I used to talk about it on stage. The show is like, I never get a DUI. I drive better when I'm drunk, right? If I was sober, God, no telling how anxious I could be and something might go wrong. So the only time I got a DUI is, and I'm going to say his name because he laughs about it now. My friend Michael was a horrible drunk. I was a sometimes horrible drunk, sometimes wonderful drunk, sometimes witty drunk. There was all kinds of drunk versions of me, right? Okay, I would like to hear other people's opinions on that. Well, <laughs> no, that's the truth. I made a career out of it. If, if I was a drag, I wouldn't have had a career. Uh, I've, seen, I've seen the footage. Yeah. <laughs> that was towards the end. That's when they want to make you look all tragic. No, but I had fun. I was bon vivant, went around, had, had fun, right? The one time I get a DUI, I... Michael Wilcox, his name is, he was like at my house and I was going over these people's house for a party at La Brea and Franklin. I lived at Gardner and Fountain. And I didn't really want to take Michael with me because he was really drunk, right? But I like him. So anyways, we go to the party and Michael gets into it with some guys at the party. And it was a, and I was just going to meet this girl that was going to be at the party. So I'm with the girl. All of a sudden there's a big commotion at the party the owner of the house comes to me, is this guy your fucking friend? And people are beating him up and like whatever. And I was like, I just drove him here. I, I, I just wanted to be with the girl and go my way. You I didn't want to be him. responsible for Michael. Okay, so, but you were. I don't know who snitched me out that I'm the one that brought him. Because my whole idea was like, as soon as we got, you know, when you bring in somebody really drunk to a party, as soon as you get there, you just split from them. Right? That's the way you got to do it. Okay. You had to separate yourself because some, I, I expected something might happen because it was a bunch of cool hipster Hollywood Hills party. And Michael really wasn't that uh, attuned to that environment. So you mean all those people <laughs> ditched me on purpose? They didn't really just lose me? <laughs> Did you get ditched a lot of times? I'm that guy. <laughs> You're the guy. 
<laughs> so, so, we're at, so, oh, no. so we get to the party. I'm like, Michael, you got to be cool. And he's like, I'm cool. And he's already falling over. Mm. And he's That's very opinionated. And, you know, he's just a, he's a tough cookie, right? <laughs> but I yeah. liked him a lot. Yeah. So, so, but I was going to ditch him at the party for sure. You guys are dicks. So, so, so I go and I'm sitting and talking to this girl and her girlfriend and whatever. And the commotion goes on and Michael's fighting two guys and then a bunch of guys get him. And then the owner of the house comes over and goes, is this your friend? And I was like, not like, I just drove him here. And they go, well, he has to go. You got to, got to get him out of here. Mm -hmm. And I was like, he's not, I'm not his keeper. Like he can get somewhere, drive him down to Franklin. You know what I, mean? I was trying every way I could to get out of being responsible for Michael. And they, the guy yeah. said, fuck you. And he picked up the girl I was with purse and said, you guys got to leave. Right. Cause this is like a, you know, like a foo-foo party. And I was like, ah, oh, geez. And so, so then the girl said, I'm not going anywhere. She grabbed her purse and sat back down. And then I got up, took Michael, got in my car. I was so pissed. You know, and now I got to drive him all the way down. He lives like down below Melrose, right? We're Gardner and Melrose. Cause I always took side streets. You take Franklin to the dead end. You go down to Hollywood Boulevard, you go side street. You go, you know, I knew how to, how to navigate the highways of Hollywood so that to not draw too much attention to maybe the swerviness of the situation. Okay. Yeah. Right? Well done. And if, a, if I saw a cop, I would just pull over and park and act like I was walking into whatever house was right there. That's always a good one. Franklin's good like that. That's, yeah. that's a hilly street, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, Franklin goes up, and then you go down to Hollywood Boulevard. So we're on Gardner and Santa Monica Boulevard, right? Okay. You remember Okie Dogs? Never Okie went Dogs there, but was a yeah. transgender, uh, I think it's called nowadays. Um, it was a transvestite type of prostitution kind of crossroads right there well then i've definitely never been there don't, <laughs> oh, really? don't know anything are you about sure it. you've never been there very sure i've been there okay anyway so so and and i'm at the stoplight it's a long light gardener in santa monica michael sees a transvestite that he's wants to discuss something with and he gets his head and torso out of the passenger window and starts talking to the girl Right, yelling at the girl guy, whatever you know right. what I'm saying. Yes, and I'm like, dude, get in a fucking car. What are you doing? Just then, cop going westbound on Santa Monica Boulevard sees Michael hanging out of my car, talking to a transvestite. Woo, 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 woo. What happens, Chuck, in a situation like that? Do you know what happens? I go to jail, and Michael's told to walk home. No How way. is that fair? No way. Okay, well, well, you were drunk and driving, and you didn't have control. But of your I was passenger. in total concern for the safety of the public. I was going slow. <laughs> I was going side streets. And you were a good driver. And I was a good driver. You know, up until this situation. Even covered one eye. Huh? Even covered one eye. <laughs> we need to get him a so, microphone. So we really do. He's the engineer. He should get himself a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, Mike. So, but it gets better because okay. this was worth getting a DUI for. Do you want to know why? Because if you're arrested at Santa Monica and Gardner, that's West Hollywood. You go to the West Hollywood Sheriff's Station. Guess who I was in the holding cell with? Ike Turner. No way. Ike Turner. 
No way. I was in jail with Ike Turner. What Greatest was... night of my fucking life. <laughs> <laughs> well, then it worked out. So, but he didn't talk much. He wasn't a talker. Ike Turner. I don't know if you're familiar. The he... guy invented rock and roll. You know how Chuck Berry gets the thing? There's a song called Rocket 88 in 1951 that Ike Turner wrote that has the first rock and roll beat to it. You can, you can look it up. Okay, Google yeah, it. Yeah, Google will, that shit. I, the guy invented that? rock and roll, let alone the Ike and Tina Turner show, let alone played Woodstock, let alone just the craziest addict in the world, let alone guns and police and Yeah, some behaviors that are questionable. Shit. Absolutely like, some questionable. I don't know if it's questionable when it's, when it's in that Keith Richards, Ike Turner stratosphere, I don't think we should criticize it. When it's down in the Chuck and Bob world, <laughs> we well, should criticize yeah, well, it. Yeah, boy. <laughs> right? You sure did. But, like, Ike Turner is rarefied air in the addict community. George Clinton is. Let's just take the all-time great drug addicts. Sly Stone, George Clinton, Ike Turner, Keith Richards. What are some of the... Jimmy Page. Okay. What are some of the greatest drug addicts of all time? Burroughs, William Burroughs. Mm. Ike Turner is in that rarefied air as an addict. Okay. And a troublemaker. Okay. And an inventor of rock and roll. And I was in a holding cell with him for like two hours. He didn't say one fucking word. Just sat there. And he's, he's dressed nice. He's just sitting there. And then he gets bailed out. Right? And we're all just, you know, and then, and then so then he gets bailed out when I'm sitting in there with the other guys that had gotten arrested. You know, it's a, you know, the type of gang. <laughs> yeah. So then these two guys get in an argument about Ike Turner afterwards. And they come to blows. And the one guy said this thing, I'll never forget. Tina bailed that man out. Tina still loved that man. And then <laughs> Tina's the one bailing him out. She still loved that man. Because Tina Turner was the biggest star in the world at the time. Okay. And I was like. 80s then, eh? I, I didn't give my opinion. I don't, when I'm in jail, I don't give a lot of opinions. No? Is that a good rule to have? I've always had it. It's always served me very well. I don't know. I didn't, I, I you know, two trouble. drunk guys from the streets are going to argue about who bailed Ike Turner out. Right. It's not a thing I want in, to inject any other opinion into. Hmm. So they got in a fist fight over who bailed Ike Turner out. Well, that's important. <laughs> then the cops come in and beat the shit out of them. And you just watched? I was just, All I sat free. on the ground. I don't even sit on the bunks. I sit on the ground. I know my place. I'm like a puppy. Like when I'm in jail, I'm whatever you want, out in the corner next to the toilet. I don't care. Okay. Right? They got crowded jails OC, aren't Didn't you go to OC yeah, jail? Yeah, yeah, but I, that's not my thing. I, I don't, I, my mouth gets me in a lot of trouble. Really? Gotta, you yeah, fucking to... talk in jail? Absolutely. <laughs> it makes the days fly by. <laughs> you get beat up a lot. Oh, no. Not a lot. <laughs> I've been, I mean, I've been beat up, but I didn't get beat up a lot. That's the truth. I mean, what's but, a lot? What's beat up a lot? <clears throat> it's the most. I mean, the, the truth is, the most time I've ever gotten was ninety days, and I think I only did forty-seven days on it. So, and, I, I, so and in not, that forty-seven days, how many times did several, you inject se your opinion several, into several, the several jailhouse times, rancor? Several times. Let's <laughs> go to the showers. Did you try to straighten shit out with people? Well, I I didn't. One time I didn't. One Were time you a I wood? Did. did you fall in with the woods? I kind of had to. Yeah. Absolutely. See, I made a huge mistake. Once I got my real first time, I was really in for a long time because I was always 
bailed out because the musician there's a musician bailout clause in Los Angeles. Might not I apply in Orange County. Guitar. I should have practiced they, guitar. They they let you, they they let you out of jail if you can make money for somebody else. So, but the but the last time, the time I was in for a long time, I was in in Wayside, right? Okay, and yeah, that's real. And I yeah. had hidden myself all through <laughs> for fucking two weeks. Just hiding in a corner, kind of looking at the wall, not, you know, I knew, I knew how to behave in jail being a guy like me. Okay. Maybe a guy like you, maybe you're not no. soft and cuddly. Maybe you're a wood, maybe it's you're funny. tough. We, we were talking about that on the way over here. We were talking about how I, I've been doing anger management for the last nine years. And that's because <laughs> I had to, I, no, I've been teaching it. But oh, <laughs> my wife it. always says, you say that wrong. Don't tell people you're going to anger management. Tell them you're going to in, teach, teach anger management. But I did so it for teaching a year and it a half. Helped you? I had to do anger management because of my, of my record when I was going to get custody of my kids. My record has violent offenses on it. Because right, I'm a, right. I, I was and were, or I guess I could be a violent the potential, person. There's a, the potential is there. So if these two guys, if you were in the holding cell with these two guys arguing about some bullshit, you know, in my mind, I was like, what are these dudes? Why don't they shut the fuck up? I was hungover. I was fucking, you know, miserable. And these two guys are arguing about who bailed Ike Turner out of jail. Yeah. Would you have interjected your opinion right there at that moment? Would you I, have told them to sit down and shut up, maybe? Because that's what I wanted to if I was I, bigger and tougher. No, I probably would have. <laughs> and it would not have mattered if I got hurt in the process. This is the difference, is that my nose has been broken three times. It's not, I, I've, these, these knuckles don't, this finger doesn't work right. I've hit enough things, including enough walls. I had a really bad attitude, and exactly it. When I go You're to jail, you're such a soft and cuddly guy. You know that's my favorite thing. Mike said that on the way over here. I don't want to tell you why, but he said I was soft and cuddly. I love because I'm not. I love it when people go. <laughs> I can't imagine you doing that. That's the biggest testament to AA and and being sober. Being sober. One that is the biggest testament I can get is that because I'm well known for being the guy that won't shut up. I'm well known for being the guy that'll walk up to the biggest guy in the room and say, "Fuck you, say." You know, I'm the guy. What would goes, you have said to the two guys arguing about some petty shit that doesn't matter? I probably probably would have been trying to sleep and probably would have told them to shut the fuck up. Yeah. And perfect. Then, perfect. And then that's what gets your ass beat. If you're me, it could have, or they might have <laughs> thought this uh, crazy freaking Pegglewood man. Those crackers, you know. So I mean, because when, when do the people at home know what a wood is? <laughs> so uh -huh. let me tell you. So I'm finally up a wayside, right? I don't know the rules of jail. I've just hidden in corners of holding cells and going to court and fucking, you know what I mean? Right. Now I'm in real jail, jail. Got my bunk, got my fucking AA book, got, you know, got my slippers, my shower slippers, right? I got money on my books. I'm ready for jail. Real jail. <laughs> Yay, Bobby. Good ready job. Go. All right, yeah. So, you know, I guess once every, I don't know how often it is, once every three days or two days it seemed like, this door would slide open. It was our turn on the yard, right? Because I was in a block with like 80 people, right? Cool. So I've it's our turn to LA go County. out on the yard. My first time, I was like a kitten. You know, like I looked Aww. outside from the inside. <laughs> I was like, I kind of want to go outside, but it's kind of, what could happen out there, right? So I walked out in the yard and all the white guys and the Mexican guys were playing handball. And the black guys were playing basketball. I don't play handball. I don't even know the rules of it. 
Well, I, you sit over there like a kitten <laughs> and you watch while they you play handball. You just watch the woods and Mexicans do. play if handball? Is that the rule for you the guys serious? that don't know how to play handball? Freaks, I need yes, to know the watch. rules of jail, Chuck. I didn't know you were so well-versed in them. Well, I haven't been to jail since 1996. Okay. But I can tell you that it freaks me out when I'm watching the shows on TV. And oh, yeah, got, I don't like that. They've got blacks and whites and Mexicans all together. That's weird to me because we're so used to being separate. So, yeah, they go. You Maybe know, it's an L.A. California thing. I think but let me tell you what thing. happened. So the ball rolled over. I was sitting on this bench and the ball rolled over to me. The right? basketball? The basketball. Oh, no. So, so but wait, let me tell you what happened. So I played basketball in high school. A lot of people don't know this. <laughs> so, so I stood up. I dribbled it a few and I shot a three-pointer swish. And they were like, whoa, Larry Bird. That's what they started calling me Larry Bird. Right, and they white. wanted me yeah. to, they were inviting me to play. I thought by calling me Larry Bird, he's one of my second favorite <laughs> basketball player of all time besides Magic. So, so I went and started playing basketball with them. And I, my old high school stuff, because I was like three weeks sober now. My whole energy's mm. back and I'm fucking rolling to the hoop and flipping passes outside. And they were just like, call me Larry Bird. And we had fun. It was a fun two hours or whatever. Well, that night, later on that night, there's other jailhouse rules I'm not familiar with. Apparently, that was a wrong move on the part of my race. Are you familiar with this rule? Yeah. This rule then, so lights go out. All the white dudes came and beat the holy shit out of me. Beat the fucking shit out did of they, me. Did they wrap you up in your blanket? Did yep. you get a blanket party? Held me down on the blanket. Bl no, they got. just walked. I didn't know what was going on. Yeah, soap things and yeah. socks. Yeah. They held me down. Like, two, you know, four of them grabbed the blanket over me and held it down. Right. And then they just pounded me. And one dude was around my head and I couldn't get my hands up. Just fucking pounding me for playing basketball. No, no for breaking the rules. <laughs> And you made the whole car look bad. So anyways, so they, they argue about the Ike Turner. And, and so then, you know, my whole thing is I got to get bailed out before they send me downtown. And so I got my friend to come and get me and whatever. And I got out. And I've been telling this story since that night when I got in Louis Matthews' car to this day. I was in jail with Ike Turner. And it was one of the greatest moments it didn't end of well. my entire life. Oh, man. Period. Later on, years later, I was at South by Southwest and he was playing and I went and saw him and then he was standing by the side and, and you know, by this time I was on television so I, was, I, I, you know, I felt more confident in myself and I said, Mr. Turner, I just want to say the greatest, greatest props and I was holding my hands like a Buddha bow, right? And I go, and you and I were in jail together <laughs> Did he and have? he looked at me <laughs> like, you'd be dead right now, boy. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, no, he didn't Don't like you, it, huh? He didn't like it. Saying it in front of other people in the backstage oh. area. Oh, Way to go, Bob. It you was don't, one you don't of the know greatest. any of the rules. I don't it know the backstage rules. You know, I don't oh, know. my God. <laughs> so, anyways. Anyway, so that's my, that's my funny story. It starts with Michael. Now, here's the crazy thing. I got sober. Michael got sober. I got sober. And I'll bet you a few of those motherfuckers that were in the jail cell with us got sober. But if it was, tw if it was 2017, none of us get sober because doctors know better. So alcoholics should be on Ativan, right? People with social phobia should be on this. Opiate addicts should be on that, on Suboxone, on Ativan, on this, on that. That's the difference. 
between 1996, when I got sober, and 2017. 1996, no doctors cared what fucking medicine Bob Forrest the junkie took. Well, that's why you said that some of them think they're doing the right thing. I think none of they all know they're they're not the dumbest people in the planet on the planet because they got to be doctors, so they have brains that work. They've got to know that if they're making that much money and putting in that little effort, that there's something rotten in Denmark. That doesn't make any sense to to say to say that they really believe they're helping when they can look at the same numbers you do. I think that they've got to be they've got to have their heads in the sand to some point to be actually believe. I mean, because that's one of the things we do first. We get people from everywhere and we put them on a Suboxone taper immediately because the people that think they want to be on Suboxone, you don't want recovery. You're not done. The only thing good about Suboxone is you're not sticking a needle in your arm. It's, you're still on. So my, but understand that my don't die message is to go directly to the addicts saying in a drug education way, listen, you're not ready to be sober. That's Okay. I, I wasn't ready when I was 21. Mm-hmm. No fucking way. But don't die. The things you're doing are so dangerous and stupid. So yeah. dangerous and stupid. I guarantee you, me and my friends when we were 21 were not doing those dangerous and stupid things. We were not. We knew not to mix pills with heroin. We knew that. It was, a, it was just a known fact amongst drug addicts. Unless you want to die... Don't fucking take a load and do heroin, right? Don't mix benzos and alcohol. That was a rule amongst all of my friends, except for Mike Marty. He did it all the fucking time. It got him fired <laughs> from bands, too. <laughs> right. But most people... See, this is the thing that I don't like in the 12-step world, is we're crazy. No, I was shooting speedballs, and I had a career. I, I paid my rent. I fucking went to work. I did things for about a seven-year period of time. To say that the, the last five years of my using was the whole of it, that it was all like that, is well, all great for feeling all humble in AA. But the fact was, I didn't build up a head of steam to continue using through all the adverse consequences that were happening in my life because it hadn't worked. It had worked. Right. No, absolutely. Well, it had. Right. But now you have kids starting off on Oxycontin at 13. Nothing's going to work right. Nothing. They can't even pay their cell phone bills. Yeah, I don't... I, I, I can't begin to understand that, but that's also... I'm not there. That's the same reason my ears aren't stretched out that big either i don't understand that either but it's just not part of where i came up i didn't come up in the the oxy first that's the part that so that's what they need to be educated on like dude you started doing heroin like like me and the musicians of the 80s were doing when we were 27 28 and 20 and 30 and we build up a head of steam and a lot of experience to use drugs at that level you're starting at that level at 13 and 14 years old dude and you don't know shit about it. Right. Yeah. Right? When I was in Jersey, the doctors were coming to me saying, you know, that we shoot up these kids sometimes because they keep records at emergency rooms. Some of these kids come back six and seven and eight times getting Narcan shots. They die repeatedly. They use unto death repeatedly. You think Suboxone's going to stop that? Are you fucking crazy? No, I, I don't. I don't see it as an answer the same way you don't. Educating them, saying that, that it's important that they survive this, this horrible era of their lives to get to the other side of it. 
But as long as the the hopeful people, the sober people, you and I, and the people that work in treatment, and the and the people in the meetings, as long as we keep telling them they're failing, right? Rather than what's that I fucking use for off and on for nine years going in and out of the twelve step world and rehab, survive to to get through it. Don't feel ashamed. I I believe that that is. There's so much shame involved and so much non-functioning in this generation of addicts that they just need to be educated. Like, dude, you cannot do this and, and expect to live. You can't, right? But, the, but the, the big pharma and the doctors have come in and said, we'll solve it, we'll solve it. They're the ones that caused it. And it's time for the addict community to rise up and say, you know what? Fuck that. Right. Dr. Right. Drew's been around a long time and he, he's telling a story. He said, Bob, were you in the 12 step world when they were against uh, antidepressants? And I said, kind of. I remember that. I mean, uh, I mean, it still kind of exists in in kind of cultish versions of 12 steps in L.A. Right. right? But it's an outside but, issue. But it, but it, but it, but it got right. more sophisticated. But in the 80s, in the, in the mid to late 80s, there was a big antidepressant anti-antidepressants anti movement in the 12-step world, okay. right? Right. Because they weren't sophisticated enough, but it was because of what they'd seen in the 70s, what doctors were trying to do, enslave addicts to methadone. The government was, the, everybody, so it was an overreaction on the, on the community's part, saying you can't get, take Lexapro, like who fucking cares? But now we're through the looking glass. We're in Alice in Wonderland. Where now you can take opiates, now you can take benzos, and you're sober? Are you fucking kidding me? You're in right, the process you know. of becoming sober. You are not sober. Right. Well, that's, that's the whole point of, of getting people off, having people taper off Suboxone. It's not because they're not done. If they're not done, go, go talk to your doctor. I'd really like to be in a doctor, sit down with a doctor when they're trying to explain... I'd really love to see how they sell that to parents because I'm sure and they're sitting they, there going, you know any what? normal person walks into a doctor's office and describes their life, you know, oh, I didn't sleep for two days because, you know, I didn't, if, my recent life. I haven't slept right, for two right. days no, because huh? my baby's sick. I, if, if I don't say because my baby's sick, if I just say, I'm a, I can't sleep, I'm really I'm ups, oh, yeah. upsetting uh, with sleep sleeping. Meds. Yeah, sleep meds. Adam, uh, Lonesta. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I just, I just want everybody out there that cares about this stuff. Like, you know, you, we got to draw a line in the sand. We got to draw a line in the sand about rehab. We have to draw a line in the sand about the medical profession trying to solve the problem they started. And this also falls on the he on the shoulders of all the sober people. We need to rise up like Frank Vila and Bob Timmons and some of the greats of the 70s and Jack that runs Cry Help and Jim Stilwell. We need this generation of, I think, counselors like you and I and just regular, you know, kind of sober people need to rise up and help. And stop thinking somebody else is going to solve it or somebody else can deal with these kids or somebody else, you know, whatever. We need to come up with some solutions for these kids. And one, one to me is just addicts talking to addicts straight about using. Mm -hmm. Addicts is talking straight. You don't mix benzos and heroin unless you want to die. Right. You don't mix benzos and alcohol unless you want to fucking die. 
or be so wobbly you can't accomplish what you want to <laughs> well, accomplish. Know, and that seems to be the goal. But that that's funny um, that, that you say that. I, Mike and I drove up here together, and um, as you know, but I mean, people out there don't know. But my, so Mike and I spent some time in the car, and that's one of the things we were talking about. Is there do have to be some people within the industry? So don't be sad if you're in the industry. Just do the right thing. You know, follow your. You be a good animal. Listen to your body. I tell my kids and my friends that all the time. Listen to your body. If it doesn't feel right, if it doesn't float, don't go. Because, I mean, the last thing I want is there to be no addicts in any of the facilities and have it be only doctors. Well, here's, here's another me. thing. The criticism that some people get, like, I used to case manage people, but I didn't want to get the criticism of looking like you're sponsoring somebody for money. I only did it for court cases, right? But there's a lot of clinicians that I know that have... have basically what they call a private practice but when you kind of ask about it or what and and you talk to both sides of it what the clinician thinks they're doing what the client thinks they're getting what they're both describing is a really good sponsor right mm -hmm. and but the clinicians that are doing it, these are kdac counselors are just trying to make some extra dough on average they're charging fifty dollars a session or a hundred dollars a session right cash Right. So they're making 400 bucks a month off of somebody and helping save their life way better than the rehab center that makes $58,000 off them. I can guarantee you that. And that, you know, and we all we have to look at all the gray area and we have to talk really honestly about what will change the tide in this, because I can tell you, unless if the addict community doesn't rise up and start trying to solve this problem by educating millennials about drug use, by being compassionate towards them, by being tolerant and not sarcastic and not belittling and not too busy because you won't call me at the right time and all this stuff that's been going on, mm -hmm. the, the harm reduction people will win because you got to figure these, these pharma, pharma companies have hundreds of millions of dollars behind them to advertise. You can't even trust the people who used to steer this in the right direction. They're in the hands of, they're in the pockets of the drug companies, right? Damn. You have the doctors yeah. wanting to make hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars. It's all primed at the pump. All that has to happen is Trump has to revoke Obamacare, get rid of that you can stay on your parents' insurance till you're 26, get rid of the pre-existing healthcare, the recovery industry will dissolve away into nothing. So yeah. there is a pathway right here where harm reduction wins game, set, match. And every person who's ever been on opiates is now on Suboxone. And they're a slave to it. For life. For huh? life. And the idea is that, that the methadone thing only really kind of, because of its uh, kind of stigma and because of where it was and who it was serving, it kind of stayed in the hood. Oh, it kind of stayed in the, the working class yeah. families, right? You had to go to the shit part of town. This for sure. is all across the spectrum. This is the elite rich will be on Suboxone. Right. The the wealthy, the middle class, the working class, the whole gambit. This is going to be harm reduction like you've never seen before. And we're only a few strokes of t Trump's pen. And the, the sober addict community not rising up and not responding. And it's game, set, match. And guess what happens to the 12-step world? It doesn't exist anymore either in about 20 years. You know why? Because nobody's coming into it. I, 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 not to give a doomsday analogy of it, but, but that's it. <laughs> 
That's what could happen. Right. On, in one yeah. parallel universe, that's what happens. That's a possible case scenario for sure. Nobody was making money off methadone. Well, that's this what I was going to ask you This is a billion-dollar industry. Is how long? Well, you know, the, the private owners that ran the methadone clinics made money, and they made yeah, enough a little money bit, to where it ran itself. It's better than a, Caesar, a little Caesar's Pizza Pizza place. You made more money than that. You know, those people made enough money to have big houses off the backs of addicts. But how long before Suboxone, Subutex, whatever but you want to call it? But it was serving only that Medicaid be, population. But how long before Suboxone falls out of the hands of doctors and in, onto the street like methadone did? How long before there's Suboxone? Well, I can tell you right now, I was talking to a drug dealer that's in detox today, and I was saying, are you selling Suboxone? He goes, you know, people, the last six months, people don't want Suboxone. They want methadone. You know why? And I said, why? And he goes, because you can get high off methadone. You can only, if you're strung out, you really can't get high off Suboxone and you never get clean. That's what he said. So so people were buying Suboxone from drug dealers because they were going to kick it home. They've been doing that for years. The addict population now knows that that doesn't work. So now they just, the only things they're buying from them, uh, from the drug dealers are methadone because you can get high off it. You get 40 milligrams of methadone, you're going to get fucking high. Okay, so when, when is the medical industry going to do the same thing the police do if, or the, the computer people? If you want to know how your machine gets hacked, you go to a criminal. You want to know what drugs are good, what work, what drugs work, and which ones go don't. To Talk drug to dealer. the addicts. I, I do all the time. I get information all the time. I, I heard about fentanyl from a guy from Boston five years ago. So I'm, I'm fully understand and entrenched in the rehab world. I'm disgusted by it, but I'm in it. I'm also Dr. Drew sidekick, so wherever he goes, I get to go. I get to go meet with the president. I get to go meet with Governor Christie. I get to go to all these things, and I know what the government's thinking. I know what Trump's thinking. I know what the drug companies are thinking. You know, I know what the insurance industry is thinking. What old felony sponsor fans like a vice president of an insurance company. No, no. <laughs> He'll like, tell me anything I want to know. Like, what's going on? What's going on? He goes, he told me two years ago, Aetna's going to pull out of California. He told me that. Really? And he said the thing about health net too. He goes, health net, they're fucked for now. But at the at the end of the year, the 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 contracts will be renegotiated. You won't be able to just buy a health net uh, policy. This Ooh. is the insider talk for you that work in treatment. You know what we're yeah. talking about. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, I got a friend yeah. that's the vice president of an insurance company. I got the government. I know what they're thinking. Right. Here's a strange thing about what the government's thinking. They're thinking about sober coaches, they call it. This is going to be a big rollout on a federal level. Right now, it's in Jersey. All it really is is 12-step people are at the emergency rooms, and they 12-step talk to the addicts who just OD'd and got shot up with Narcan. So it really is a little bit like what I'm talking about, but I'm sure they're not going to talk the way I talk. You know what They'll I mean? They'll probably have scripts that they have to work from or th- things they have to stay within. And recommendations, SAMHSA recommendations right. and stuff like that. But, but so, so government's going to sober coaches. I don't even know what that means. The recovery in- industry is wholly, it's hanging off a cliff. Uh, it's an elephant hanging off a cliff by its tail. And, old, and Trump has <laughs> the tail. <laughs> oh, and no. he can let it fall off the cliff right revoke that you can't stay on your parents insurance till you're 26 if they even just lower that back to 23 
that's a huge hit to the recovery industry. Huge. You will see hundreds, if not thousands, of treatment centers close up shop. Yeah. The pre-existing thing, game, set, match. If you don't, if you if you, if they get rid of the pre-existing healthcare thing, no. But not only do addicts not get treatment, they don't get healthcare. Period. It will be so expensive for the millions of people that have entered drug treatment, and gotten a diagnosis of addiction. They will never be insured again. So then, do you think? I don't think he's going to pull it. No, but do I don't you, think he's going to. But do you think that that would be a good thing? That it would be, it would be uh, an upside down world for a minute. But would it be a good thing? Would that be the kickstart that we need? Is is are we li- li- walking in? Is it such a cesspool that it needs to be cleaned? To I, that extent, I think or? I think that the pre-existing is is a bridge too far. That's just horrible to do to not only to the addicts who entered treatment for these eight years. I agree, who, and, for, and for many you know other what I diseases. Mean? I mean, for many other. There's not things. many. Listen, if you're diagnosed with addiction, it, it cancels you out. It, addiction causes heart disease, diabetes, cancer. You're done. You're never going to get health insurance. So all the millions of people in this gold rush of the rehab world, they'll never get insurance. Never. It'll cost $1,500, $2,000 a month. Right? So what will happen is they'll be all back on Medicaid, and then they're defunding Medicaid, so addicts will just be out in the streets. I think it might reduce the addict population. I think the addict population is probably reducing now. You think so? You think the tide's turning? I think the tide's turning about opiates. I do. I don't think 13-year-old kids are going to be into opiates. I hope that people are awake enough to be able to keep their eyes open for that because that's 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 a a scary thing. It's sad that we live in a time where I I wish kids would just smoke weed again because weed's not even weed anymore, so we can't even really say that. I just think, here, I got an opinion, and I give it at a later date, or I've already given it, but I just care about survival. I don't really care about other drugs. When you're talking about any use, you could die. Any day, you could die. Any, any kind of, if you're a parent of an active opiate fentanyl using heroin addict tonight, you could get the call. And that was not the case. Not for decades and decades when we were saying that would happen. It Mm -hmm. didn't, right? I was told when I was in rehab in 1988, like, you're going to die. I was like, you know what I said? Because I was a cock-sucking L.A. guy. You know what I said to the counselor? What? So are you. We all are. We <laughs> yeah. all are. You're stupid. I did. I said that to the counselor. She was this nice lady. I wonder if she's still alive. I should never have said that. It was so was that, horrible. Was that the hippie chick? No, no. That no. was that was a drunk drunk. Oh, Okay, the hippie chick. We can get into that in another episode. <laughs> okay. That was because I got the DUI. That's how I met ah. that woman. I had to go to drunk driving school. Okay, that's she was the hippie chick. She was a KDAC counselor. And she taught drunk driving school. Okay, we'll we'll okay. see you next time. I'm sorry if it's a bummer, but you know I at least it keeps you occupied. This is what I think about all the time. All right. Good night. Hey, this is Bob, and you can get a hold of Aloe Treatment Centers at 888-595-0235. That's Aloe Treatment Centers in Malibu and Silver Lake, 888-595-0235. Tell them Bob told you to call.